yes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Frogs of War podcast. This is Melissa Treewasser joined with Anthony North as we are back to talk about the best moments from TCU sports over the last 100 plus years. Uh, We went over the Patterson region. If you joined us on our first episode uh, that posted on Tuesday afternoon, today we are going to jump into the Schlossnagel region, another uh, really interesting group and and one that that is probably um, a little bit more competitive than, than some of the others out there. So looking forward to diving in to bringing you guys some TCU athletics in the midst of uh, a time of global pandemic when sports, we've been without sports now for almost two full weeks. Uh, make sure that you are logging on to frogsofwar.com, that you are taking the opportunity to vote on your favorite moments. Again, Patterson Region was up, now on to Schloss. Anthony, uh, what do you think of what's going on so far? Yeah, thanks, Melissa. So uh, yeah, this is feels like the, the wide open region. I think uh, the one seed certainly it will get into it, but it deserves to be a one seed. But it feels like one of those that uh, that could be vulnerable uh, to one of these other classic moments in here. So we've we've got a good mix of of old school and under the radar uh, topics here to to hit. And uh, so I I don't know how this one is going to ultimately shake out at the very end. So uh, should be should be exciting. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely excited to dive in and get to it. So. Let's jump in right now and start with our number one seed uh, against our number 16 seed. Uh, we can talk about Durbin Feltman and his infamous thumbs down at Texas A&M and College Station versus Kurt Thomas uh, recording the first triple-double in TCU basketball history. Um, I am going to go ahead and talk about Durbin at, at this point. That is one of my favorite moments. I actually had a chance to be in Bluebell Park uh, for the opening of that series um, for, for TCU's win. Uh, did not get to stick around for, for game three, but... Um, if you've never had an opportunity to, to see Texas A&M play at Bluebell, um, you guys are all familiar, I'm sure, with, with the fan base that, that is the uh, fighting Aggies out of College Station, um, our favorite college sports cult uh, in all the land. And so um, getting an opportunity to go in there to uh, for TCU baseball and that great baseball rivalry with a, a shot to Omaha on the line to, uh, to, to win that one game, to, to lose a game, to be in a, a winner-take-all game three situation – uh, with the bubbles and the clapping and the ball four and the banging the rings against the bleachers, it, it's a pretty intimidating environment. And so, in that moment, when when Durbin Feltman, uh, you know, gets a strikeout to the the ninth inning, uh, shuts the Aggie offense down, sends them home, and have the presence of mind after that massive play to uh, to to take his thumb and do the gigum and then just turn it upside down. Uh, certainly one of the most iconic moments in TCU athletics history, and I think a very, very worthy uh, number one seed and one that, that could potentially pull an upset here over the immaculate deflection, uh, potentially. We'll see. Uh, Anthony, why don't you talk about Kurt Thomas for us? Yeah, sure. So the, the 16 seed here um, is it's, it's going to have a tough one, obviously, taking down that uh, that classic enduring image of the the thumbs down but uh, we've got Kurt Thomas uh, securing the first ever triple double for TCU basketball um, and and it's great that we got Kurt Thomas into this bracket he was kind of the uh, ambassador and face of TCU basketball for for a long time and um, during his time at TCU led the country in scoring rebounding and uh, lottery pick 
many, many, many years in the NBA. Seems like he, he played for every team in the league at some point. Um, and and to, to kind of get that first um, was quite an achievement. And just happy we were able to get him in this bracket. Um, and, and actually, this, this game I looked up was also against A&M. So we're, we're here in this matchup, just a anti-Aggie uh, thought here. And um, just kind of to, to note what a big deal this was and, and kind of the wasteland of TCU basketball in the, in the interim. Um, it was another 22 years until the Frog had uh, another triple-double when Kenrich Williams got one in the uh, 2017 NIT. Uh, so kind of a crowning achievement uh, for, for Kurt and just happy to get him in this bracket. And speaking of Kenny Hustle and Kenrick Williams, we are going to uh, jump into our next moment. That's the two seed versus the 15 seed. The two seed is uh, the iconic Catch-22 with Aaron Green against uh, Texas Tech in 2015 versus uh, the Kenrick Williams poster dunk versus West Virginia on Big Monday uh, when ESPN came to town and hosted uh, TCU basketball, hosted the uh, top 10 ranked Mountaineers uh, on campus and uh, Kendrick Williams uh, had one of his uh, most memorable moments and kind of started the Frogs off on a journey that would send them to uh, March Madness for the first time in 20 years. Uh, it was an amazing environment, amazing day, uh, and an opportunity uh, to, to make some hay. And I know, Anthony, you're generally a basketball guy, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk about whichever seed that you would prefer so why don't you go ahead and jump on in yeah i'll i'll move away from the basketball a bit and just talk about the catch 22 um and i was i was in the camp that this could have been a one seed um i think i think it's fine as a two but um and so i'm sure everyone listening to this is familiar with this play but um this is the 2015 game in lubbock uh football um, against Texas Tech, the TCU was ranked in the top five and coming into the season was favorite to make another run at the, the playoff. And uh, it, it had a chance to unravel at uh, Patrick Mahomes and, and that, that whole uh, Texas Tech team could have, could have taken it down. And uh, TCU down basically to the last play of the game, fourth down inside the five-yard line, this this was it. This was this was the end of the revenge tour. Um, and Trevon Boykin looked for old reliable Josh Doxson uh, coming across the middle in the in the end zone, and uh, ball flutters off his hands. He couldn't catch it, and um, it all feels like it's in slow motion. Maybe because we've seen this replay in slow motion uh, tons of times, and. Uh, falls into Aaron Green's hands as he runs in behind. Um, has the presence to, to tap a toe, and uh, they call it a touchdown, and it is a touchdown, and it, uh, it saves the season, saves the day. Um, just just one of the, the absolute classic moments. And I, I just have to say there's, there's a photo of this, the exact moment where, where Green jumps up, um, and he's he's signaling touchdown. His eyes are the size of his face. He's, he's wide-eyed watching that referee signal touchdown. And um, the photo in the back, the various reactions of all the, the sea of Texas Tech fans of 
some people still celebrating, thinking it's incomplete. Um, there's there's a guy hanging over the rail with without a shirt on and in, in already in defeat. Some people with just looks of horror and a sea of surrender surrender cobras. So it's it's my favorite TCU photo of all time, and this this moment is uh, is one of the greatest of all time. Absolutely, uh, definitely one of um, you know. I think that as we're all listening to you talk about it, every single one of us can see the exact photo that you're thinking of in your head and in all of the background, um, this, the sea of surrender cobras, as you so eloquently put it, um, that we all remember so well. Uh, such an important game in that season. You know, ended up uh, the 2015 season. TCU comes in ranked number two overall and has. Uh, several moments during that year in this bracket, um, but it's still one of those seasons that feels like it ended in a disappointment, despite the fact uh, that it did give us the greatest bowl game uh, comeback of all time as, as the Frogs went into the Alamo City and, and uh, stole the Alamo Bowl from Oregon after being down 31 to nothing. Um, <laughs> I, I have a rule uh, that uh, I only watch Texas Tech games alone if I'm not watching them in person, and I usually watch them in a dark house, and, and that game I'll forever remember uh, because as Aaron Green made that catch, I uh, was wandering back and forth between my bedroom and my, my living room, and I just fell to the ground and ended up actually like chipping a bone on my elbow. So um, that pain still lives with me to this day. It's, it's just a good thing. Uh, anyways, let's talk about the 15 seed, uh, the Kenny Hustle. I touched on that a little bit earlier. That big Monday game is the first time that TC Basketball had hosted Big Monday in their history. Uh, it, was, it was a sign that the program was on the right track, that Jamie Dixon had indeed brought them back up uh, into respectability. And that was, like I said earlier, the, the, the moment that kind of, I think, gave fans a true belief that this was a tournament team. This was a team that was going to make it to March Madness. And we know that their season did indeed end in Detroit in round one um, of, of that March Madness tournament. Uh, Kendrick Williams, one of the most beloved TCU athletes to come through in, in the last two decades. Uh, a lot of people's favorite favorite basketball player, um, that and Desmond Bain. And in that moment when he rose up and just posterized that poor, poor Mountaineer uh, goes down is, is one of the biggest moments in TCU basketball's recent history. And, and to me, kind of the, uh, the pivot point, the, the dawn of the Jamie Dixon era. And while we haven't really seen that momentum continue uh, the way that we had hoped that it would, I think it's a good reminder that, that TCU basketball is back to being a respectable property. Uh, it's it's an organization that can recruit at a high level. It's a, it's a program that can win. And I'm really excited to see what this team does next season um, as, as they kind of get their, their roster straight up. So um, tough, tough run for the 15 seed here. Uh, everyone loves Kenny Hustle. Um, but at the end of the day, it's going to be really, really hard to, to upend Aaron Green and the Catch-22, in my opinion. And I have a feeling that we're going to see uh, that move on. So let's talk about our Yeah, three. sure. So, so the Des Bain play, I mean, this is, uh, I guess, the 2017 season. He's a uh, freshman. And, yeah, this is, this is Kansas basketball, number one team in the country, Game is in their second home in Kansas City. Um, game's tied, few seconds left. Um, Alex Robinson uh, hits hits Des in the corner, and he puts up the three that would be the the game winner. Um, and he's he's basically tackled by Sfi Mikhailuk for Kansas. Um, he Sfi has the the look of incredulity of how dare you call a foul on me? I play for Kansas. Um, and uh, so, you, you know, today, today we, we think of 
of Desmond Bain as kind of the, the cold-blooded superstar killer that, that we, we know today um, that, that I guess we just saw our, our last uh, time with him at, at TCU. And, uh, but, but the legend kind of built here in this play, um, the, the ice in his veins to step up there against Kansas and make those three free throws uh, to take the game. And, and actually, Kansas got a pretty good shot off at the end to, to get a look, um, but, but missed it and gave TCU a crowning victory um, in the Big 12 tournament. I'll forever remember that game because I was actually coaching softball at the time, and, and our head coach is a, a former NFL linebacker, uh, Dexter Coakley, which is a whole other story. But huh. we were we were playing uh, one of our big rivals that day, and I had the game streaming on my phone, and all the parents in the stands were, were kind of like keeping me updated on the score. And at, at one point I was very, very locked into what was happening in basketball as Bain was shooting those free throws. And uh, uh, Coakley kind of looked over at me, and I was like, dude, it's number one Kansas. And he was like, all right, watch on. Um, so it was good, but uh, uh, the heat is going up against Sarah Schur, um and her perfect 600 uh, TCU rifle is probably the most dominant athletics program of the last decade when you consider the national championships that they won, the individual accolades, and Sarah Schur is probably uh, the most decorated um, athlete to come through that program, and so posting a uh, perfect 600, something that only four NCAA athletes have done in history, uh, she did it up in an Alaska tournament um, as part of, I think, TCU's first rifle national championship season. Um, and I believe that she was the, the all-around champ. Um, TCU Rifle, like I said, is, is definitely one of, one of the premier programs, uh, that, both in the women's rifle team and the co-ed team, which also happens to be an all-female squad as well. Um, they, they win big. They, they dominate uh, their league. They dominate on a national level. Um, and that 2011 season was kind of the one that, that started them uh, on, on the track to, to what has been a, an incredible run here over the last 10 years. Um, they also have a habit of beating a lot of uh, service academies, which either can make you feel really, really good about TCU or really concerned uh, about the rifle programs at our service academies. Uh, so that's going to be a tough one. Um, let's move on from that one and let's talk about our number four, uh, 13 matchup. We are going to go in the way, way back machine with our 13, um, the Talden Manton field goal to defeat LSU back in 1936 against the great white hit. Uh, you guys are going to learn a little bit of something about Talden Manton, which you probably didn't know as, as we dive into to that particular event um, all the way back in 1936. TCU uh, won the Peach Bowl for the first time against the LSU Tigers. Uh, TCU was 11-1 and the champion of the Southwest Conference. Meanwhile, LSU somehow was 9-1 and um, and champion of the SEC. So I guess even then, uh, the SEC played two games every year that didn't count. So um, this was a high-scoring affair that ended at 3-2. to uh, It was scoreless through the first quarter. And then our friend uh, Tilly, as he was known, knocked it through a 36-yard field goal. Uh, to, to put the Frogs on top three to nothing. Uh, the LSU offense would not score that day as the Horned Frogs really, really shut them down um, on the defensive side of the ball. Their only points coming on a uh, intentional grounding call in the end zone that went against uh, uh, Davey O'Brien. And so um, that final score of three to two ended up standing. TCU took that win to finish 12 and one overall and to, to knock off the mighty Tigers of the SEC. Uh, and, and TC would make a habit of continuing to knock off SEC opponents uh, intermittently here over the last 80 or 90 plus years. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your memories of the Great White Hit now, Anthony? 
Okay, great. Yeah, the uh, the number four seed here is uh, known as the Great White Hit, and I nominated this in in our uh, as as we were putting together the bracket, and and I was happy to see it get such a such a high seeding here. Um, I guess this resonated with with others uh, as much as it did with me. Um, this was in 2006 um, game against Texas Tech at home in in the Carter. So f- for me, this this was was a big one for me. This I was a freshman. This was my second ever game there at Amon G. Carter, and this was this was probably the moment that locked me in as a as a Horn Frog fanatic for forever. Um, you know, we we talked yesterday about the the Speed Baby press conference and all of the uh, kind of building up to this position where Gary Patterson defense stifles and completely shuts down a, a Mike Leach offense, and and that's great. But the the moment of that is is this uh, Marvin White uh, coming across the middle from the safety position. Um, there's a there's a deep pass down down the sideline and and Marvin White comes over and just absolutely levels the receiver um, right at the moment that the ball arrives and it's I I think today it probably would have gotten a flag thrown just because it was so violent and so fast uh, as as a targeting but you know you you watch the replay over and over and I, I'm not sure that it really would have qualified as targeting but. At the time, it was just one of those light em up moments that uh, the crowd really uh, let out a gasp of, wow, that, that really just happened. Um, and even though, to, to be fair, there, there was a significant number in red, I think everyone let out a, let out a gasp there. And uh, this play, though, the significance of it, beyond just the violence, was... Tech was driving opportunity to uh, kind of get back into this game and and make TCU's offense have to earn something beyond a field goal and and this play basically shut it down. It, it uh, brought it towards the end and gave TCU uh, the win that that brought us out of being the the redheaded stepchild in the state, as as Patterson said in that press conference. God, there are so many great moments from that game. Uh, it's hard not to want to go back and, and, and just talk through all of them. Uh, but we'll move on. Uh, as always, the five twelve matchup is, is always uh, uh, up for debate and generally primed for an upset. Um, we've got two really great candidates here. Uh, the Dalton, Andy Dalton Rose Bowl touchdown run. I think we established uh, the other night that, that you and I were both sitting in the same end zone for that. So it happened kind of right in front of me as well. Um, versus Josh Doxson's touchdown versus Kansas State in 2015. Uh, if you guys remember that 2015 game, uh, and, and that was uh, that season started out so promising. Frogs came in ranked number two overall. Uh, they had an opportunity to, to make the Final Four coming off of being left out uh, in 2014 in, in controversial fashion. And the season started off really, really strongly before injuries completely derailed uh, TCU's goals there at the end. 
Uh, this game against Kansas State, it was coming after the 50-7 to destruction of Texas that happened at Amon G. Carter the week prior. Uh, we got another great moment from that game when Chris Boyd uh, tweeted out at halftime that he'd he'd made some bad decisions and decided to become a Longhorn. Um, I think a lot of us remember that as well. Um, but but the Frogs came out a little bit, had a little bit of a hangover from that game, um, didn't come out ready to play in the Little Apple, and Bill Snyder had his guys fired up and ready to go um, and, and primed to pull off the upset. Frogs fell behind by as many as 11 points on multiple occasions, and even when they would cut it to a one-score game, it just did not feel like it was going to be their night. And then uh, Trayvon Boykin happened, as he so often mm, tended to do. Yeah, and he uh, he completely took over um, in that fourth quarter, and really in the, the second half of that fourth quarter, uh, being responsible, being a part of three straight touchdown plays, um, including this uh, just absolute beautiful, beautiful throw uh, and catch to to Josh Doxson that that uh, ended up putting TCU on top uh, and, and ultimately giving them the win that night, uh, fifty eight. Uh, 55 to 48. Uh, it, it was just another incredible example of, of Boykin and, and Doc's chemistry, the way that Boykin was, was able to, to just need that little bit of space to find the wide receiver. And once Doc had the ball in his hands, it, it was it was absolutely showtime. And that was kind of that moment where TCU had a lot of, played some close games that season, but always seemed to find a way to win um, when they needed to through the first half of that 2015 campaign. And it wasn't until Oklahoma State uh, in Stillwater, the, the game that Doc got hurt, that, that it kind of derailed our hopes of, of potentially competing for a national championship at the end of that year. Um, but but that, that night in Manhattan in the Little Apple, pulling off that, that improbable comeback uh, was definitely one of the highlights of that, that season and um, one of those moments that, that helps us realize how special a player Josh Doxson was in college. Yeah, I, I guess I'll, I'll jump back into the favorite again on this one. Um, I, I've got plenty to say on both of these. I love both of these moments. This is going to be a very tough vote for me when it comes down to voting time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the the Dalton run, It like you said, I was in that corner of the end zone. It was like he was running to come to see me. That was It, it was great. But, uh, I yeah, I, I really love this, this moment, um, obviously, in the Rose Bowl. Um, it's not the play that won the game. I guess that's what makes it a five seed, but um, it's an enduring play nonetheless. It gave the Frogs a lead that uh, we never gave up. Um, but for me, this is a perfect Andy Dalton moment. This is the Andy Dalton moment and, and really, I think, deserves recognition as such. It's um, it, it was a head-to-head matchup of uh, wits and athletic skill uh, between Dalton and J.J. Watt, who, you know, obviously went on to be one of the best defensive players in the NFL and was one of the best defensive players in the country at the time. And, and um, the, the face of that Wisconsin defense. And he, Dalton takes J.J. Watt and, and plays with his, his mind. And uh, so zone read... He Dalton keeps the ball in Ed Wesley's gut for as long as possible. Um, Watt fully bites on the play, jumps inside, and yeah, and it was it was just absolute money from there. Um, that Rose Bowl, I, I think that uh, we could probably do a greatest moments from that game alone um, against Wisconsin and that memory. It's obviously one of the. I think most modern-day TCU fans will tell you 
um, at least ones that you know got to school uh, before that that run that it's uh, absolutely the most important game uh, in TCU history and, and our favorite and it's going to be hard for any of those not to not to win their seating um, let's jump on over now to our 6 uh, 11 matchup this is another really really uh, interesting matchup here uh, we're going to talk about Kyle Backhack and his uh, suicide squeed versus Pepperdine and the uh, regional round, and that is going to take on Amy Oconquo's game winner Classic. versus West Virginia uh, in 2017. Um, I think that it's uh, uh, we didn't give enough uh, to to women's basketball in this. I would I would have loved to have added some more moments and just to to recognize their uh, their incredible season this year that was unfortunately cut short and, and they were denied an opportunity to compete uh, in the NCAA tournament. But uh, that that run this year really started back in 2015 um, with, or 2017, sorry, with that group of seniors. Um, and Amy Oconquo was uh, one of the, the best characters that's played in that program. Uh, transfer from USC, uh, was not uh, known as a three-point shooter, but could definitely sink them from deep when she needed to. And after uh, beating a ranked, uh, top 10 ranked Texas team, Frogs went to uh, West Virginia and faced number 15, the number 15 Mountaineers. Uh, and then overtime in a, in a, a down to they ended up uh, finding a conquo behind the uh, three-point arc with uh, just seconds to go, 3.4 seconds to go. Uh, Keanu Ray found her. I think people were surprised that, that it was Oconquo that was that was going to have the opportunity to take that three-point shot. And so she had room. Uh, she let it fly. And as I said, with 3.4 seconds, seconds left to go, uh, Oconquo drains it to knock off the Mountaineers. That started, uh, that was the second win and what ended up being six straight for the Horned Frogs. Um, they, they looked like they were going to be NCAA tournament bound that season, uh, struggled a little bit down the stretch and ended up uh, playing the women's NIT. But um, the Frogs uh, did finish second this year in the Big 12 Conference and, and looked like they were primed to potentially make a Sweet 16 run uh, in, in March Madness before being denied the opportunity uh, to play in uh, in that tournament due to coronavirus running down um, all of, of college athletics through the remainder of the spring season. So uh, an unfortunate uh, end of the season, but uh, it's nice to look back and remember one of those great moments uh, from women's basketball, Reagan Pabley's history uh, here with the Horned Frogs. Yeah, I'll, I'll hit the baseball one um, if I could. So uh, this... This series against Pepperdine was was kind of a a big one for me. Uh, so my dad was in town. He uh, he went to Pepperdine for law school, and uh, when I when I was a little one, we lived out there uh, at that beautiful campus. And so, um, kind of getting his alma mater to come to Fort Worth and uh, and play in this series was a big deal. And I kind of had a feeling like, oh, TCU, we're just going to walk over this. And it ended up being a very uh, kind of contentious and really closely played series uh, to the third game and down to the to the final inning of the third game. And so uh, it was just really exciting moments. But uh, this play in particular where ninth inning, tie game, uh, runner on second and third, um, and just... I think the the suicide squeeze is probably the the most gutsy play call you could you could possibly have in in all of sports, um, especially in that situation where um, winner goes to the College World Series. 
Um, and for it to be called and then executed with perfection uh, to bring that, uh, that run across to, to take the lead, that it, it's not a walk-off, but it, it gave TCU the lead to, to go ahead and close out that series and, and move on to Omaha again. And um, I think at a six seed, this is probably underrated. Maybe we're just um, too happy with, uh, you know, we're, we're too used to just going to Omaha. Uh, but this, this is, uh, is a pretty big one. Yeah, it was a, a huge moment, um, and and one of just the of all of the runs to Omaha, and you think of how how the frogs ended up ultimately getting to each of those. Uh, that this is probably one of the the most forgotten but most important moments. Um, uh, Kyle Backek was just such a great catcher and and a, and a great personality, kind of uh, paved the way for Evan Skaug and others. But uh, that that was such a gutsy gutsy play in that moment, and, and such a fun way to to end up going to Omaha. Um, that brings us now to, we're down to our, our last two matchups. Um, we're going to hit the 7 and 10 seed ver- and then the 8 and 9 to finish it off. Our 7-10 uh, is a strictly a matchup of utter and complete uh, athleticism and speed here. When you talk about uh, Darius Anderson scoring a touchdown versus Ohio State in the Cowboy Classic uh, that, that opened the, uh, the, the 20 um, oh no, just 2018 season versus uh, Daryl Washington running down CJ Spiller um, in that, that well-remembered rainy monsoon of a game um, against Clemson um, as, as part of the, the Andy Dalton era run. And so um, I'll jump in and, and talk about DA, talk about Jet um, against Ohio State. That was such an important matchup for TCU and and one of the most frustrating games that was Sean Robinson kind of making his debut as the man behind center for the Horn Frogs. Um, he he started out strong. The Frogs looked like uh, like they were going to hang with Ohio State early, and then at, at one point really looked like they had a chance to to pull off this massive upset over uh, what I believe were the the number two ranked uh, Buckeyes at the time. And that moment when Darius Anderson breaks free for a, a TCU record tying. 98-yard touchdown run. It, all of the uh, momentum was t- clearly on TCU's side. The the fans in the stadium were going absolutely crazy. Um, the the jet was going absolutely crazy, and it, it felt like the frogs had gotten over the hump and had a chance to to pull off this upset and get this win. The thing I will forever ever remember about that game, though, is not the touchdown run by Darius Anderson. But the shovel pass from uh, that the, the frogs turned into a pick six um, from deep in their own territory, and some of the play calling in that game. I think that's kind of where we started seeing the TCU fan base get frustrated with play calling. So um, while that Darius Anderson touchdown is is a great moment and absolutely a, a worthy contender on this bracket, um, I think this is one of those matchups that's primed for an upset because so many of us have such a bad taste in our mouth still to this day uh, from that game and the way that that everything seemed to fall apart uh, in the third quarter of that matchup despite it looking like uh, the frogs in the first half were going to uh, to manage to to hold on and and hold off Ohio State um, in in that game I will say um, getting to cover that game as a photographer and being on the sidelines I was right uh, on that, right in that moment, in that that area where Darius Anderson ran right by on his way to the end zone, 
uh, and and his reaction and his celebration was it was a really really amazing moment and just kind of hearing the swell of the crowd as you heard him break free and and get past the first line of defense get into the secondary and then ultimately um, just foot race down the sideline and beat out everybody uh, was a pretty cool moment uh, to be a part of and so try to remember that and the good times not not the bad times from that particular game. Yeah, I'll go with the I'll go defense on this one. So um, the Daryl Washington play uh, is is one of the one of the just enduring uh, displays of athleticism, like you said, just just the speed. And um, C.J. Spiller, uh, people may not remember, but was widely regarded as one of the fastest players in college football um, and super, superstar uh, running back for Clemson. And this. Clemson team obviously is not the Clemson that uh, that we know today, but it was Dabo Sweeney early in his time there, and this team was was a strong contender that TCU had to go to their place um, in pretty terrible conditions. It was, it was another rainy, sloppy day, um, and for for this 2009 season that uh, that was pretty fantastic this was a big point in that uh, in that season um this particular play probably not a huge impact on the game itself um so cj spiller kind of uh, releases behind the defense um on a pass play um gets open catches the pass and appears to just be off to the races towards towards the end zone and and somehow uh, like he's in fast forward, uh, Daryl Washington catches up from behind and, and brings him down. Um, and it, it, it was just kind of a, a wow play uh, from, from a wow player. Um, probably not the, the most important play of the game. Uh, the, the Antoine Hicks touchdown um, later in the game that, that put TCU ahead, uh, kind of leaping. He holds the ball against his body, falling to the ground. That's that's a pretty amazing play as well. That that probably could have could have made this bracket, um, but just the display of of speed from the linebacker position to catch up with the fastest player in the sport. Um, it, it's it's the most memorable play from the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just just such a such an amazing athlete that Daryl Washington was at linebacker. He was completely completely unfair in college in my opinion you know um just just his speed when i used to play uh, the early editions ncaa football um i, I think i'd move him to linebacker because he was legitimately the fastest player on tcu's team so uh that that game was a really really memorable one for the conditions and then of course for uh uh, that play. So uh, that brings us now to our our final matchup. Um, this is one where we're going to jump into volleyball for the first time and, and talk a little bit about the great mo- greatest moment of Jill Kramer's tenure at TCU. And then we're once again going to go in the way, way back machine uh, for our number eight seed and, and talk about Davey O'Brien's mm. touchdown to win the national championship uh, way back in 1938. So I'll take volleyball here. Um, Jill Kramer has come back to her alma mater and, and really built a successful program, recruited at a really high level, um, and and they've had some they've had some struggles. They've had some player uh, matriculation, but I think that we're primed to see a, a really fun program here. 
um, in the fall of 2020. But one of the moments that, that got, uh, got TCU started was this massive, massive sweep upset of, of the University of Texas back in 2015. The Frogs had actually never beaten the Longhorns in volleyball. Um, do you guys know anything about college volleyball? You know that, that Texas is one of the elite programs in the country is scores of Big 12 championships and scores of national championships and really sets the bar um, for for that sport of women's volleyball, uh, not just in Texas, but across the country. And uh, they had swept the Frogs earlier in the season, 3 nothing, and, and pretty much dominated that game. And something got uh, just, just got right for, for Kramer's, Kramer's team. And they came in and... Uh, you know, volleyball is a is best a, best three out of five uh, for a team of 25 scores and rally scoring. And the Frogs uh, went 25-19, 25-19, 25-20. And so while none of those sets were total blowouts, um, they none of them were all uh, uh, all that close either. And it, it seemed like uh, like the Horn Frogs were in control from the opening tip with the great support of the incredible crowd um, at the TCU Rec Center. And so a uh, huge win for the program, um, one of those great moments, knocking off number two, Texas, uh, and, and a worthy, worthy contender here as, as we get towards the end of our bracket. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best to, uh, to recall the, the, the great <laughs> memories of, of 1938. And, and yeah, I mean, I think we, we probably don't, uh, or at least I myself don't have a history lesson enough to, uh, to appreciate just kind of, we see the numbers on the board, 38, 35, give us, give us the championships. Look, we, we've got the, we've got the trophies and, uh, we're, we're happy with that. But to, to go back and read some of the, uh, the descriptions of these games and whatever newsreel video that may exist, um, is, is fun to see. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is this is the Davy O'Brien um, team. I think on our, I think on our uh, chart it says Sammy Ball, but I'm pretty sure this is Davy O'Brien. Um, anyway, I, uh, there's reading the the box score and the descriptions of this game. I ca- I can only imagine that if it were played in in the 2000s, uh, we'd probably have three, four, six moments from this game somewhere in this bracket. Um, there's uh, immediately following this play that that's actually made the bracket that was the touchdown that uh, gives TCU the lead and, and ultimately the championship uh, the the ensuing kickoff there was a long return and and TCU's star defender uh, made a tackle on that play that I'm, I'm sure that would if we had video of that or if I, I haven't seen it but I'm sure it would be on here um, and then um, Right after that, Davey O'Brien himself has um, interception uh, as he's the defender intercepting uh, <laughs> the Carnegie Tech quarterback um, and and bringing it back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, we we don't have we don't have YouTube or gifts or uh, anything to really commemorate every moment from this this championship. Um, so we kind of have to have to base it on on the lore and and the newsreels that we can we can find. But um, I, I think I think it will have a, a tough matchup to take down any any modern era moment. But winning a football national championship, winning a Sugar Bowl, um, and at this time doing so with a with a forward pass uh, touchdown pass, um, as we saw from the the 1935 game where. 
it was a 3-2 score. So um, obviously scoring wasn't quite what it was like, uh, like today. Uh, no 82 points running out of fireworks, nothing like that. So um, just we, we obviously have to commemorate the, the winning a national championship and, and these heroes that, that made the, the history of, of TCU athletics. Um, but I think these old classic moments are going to have a tough time as the bracket goes forward. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate um, that, that some of TCU's uh, greatest moments happened before most of our readership was around to, to witness them. But you're absolutely right. Um, we need to continue to commemorate them. And uh, I think for sure, if, uh, if we end up winning a national championship, Anthony, then, uh, then you and I will do a best moments bracket of, yes, every single play of, of that national championship. All right, well... Uh, that is our final uh, matchup of the Schlossnagel region. Again, if you guys uh, aren't, make sure that you are logging on to frogsofwar.com as well as uh, at frogsofwar on Twitter and get us, uh, get us your votes in. Um, we want to get lots of people involved in. Like, let's be honest, you guys have nothing better to do right now, right? We're all, we're all sitting home looking, looking for some way to entertain ourselves. And so uh, what better way to do that than to relive some of the great moments in TCU history uh, Jamie's doing a great job of breaking them down and, and posting videos and gifts and uh, fleshing out some of some of those great memories uh, of the last 75, 85 years or so uh, amongst uh, the TCU Athletics faithful. Um, again, we appreciate you guys tuning in to the Frogs of War podcast. I know we went a little radio silent for a period of time, but uh, we're going to try to bring you content regularly. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe. Listen to us on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, iTunes, Podbean, whatever you use, Spotify, um, we'll, we'll be there for you. Um, we'll, I believe we'll have some, uh, some Stats of War stuff coming your way as well here in the near future. Uh, it's been a lot of fun going through the Schlossnagel uh, region, and we look forward to uh, doing some more for you. We'll be back uh, with the, the final two regions here in the coming days. So for Anthony North, I'm Melissa Treeblosser. Thank you for listening, and go Frogs.